We bring the news. We bring the action. We bring it live. This is 101.9 High FM. You're listening to 101.9 High FM. I am Benji Shulman, and this is the New Blue Review. Welcome if you're listening on High FM, 101.9, highfm.com, or indeed off the Jerusalem Post. You are welcome, and it is good to be with you. As usual, bringing you the best in Jewish politics, current affairs, innovation, arts and culture, and just really anything that's interesting happening in the Jewish world. We like to do it here on the New Blue Review. And getting lots of interesting feedback about uh, some of the other guests that we've been having. I hope to share that uh, coming up in some of the shows going forward. But for this show, I'm excited to be talking to our next guest. Her name is Tali Nates, and she is the executive director of the Johannesburg Holocaust and Genocide Center, which is a bit of a mouthful. And uh, we're also going to be talking about why it's such a mouthful and why it's a bit different. And what about the Holocaust? Are we educating properly? Are we doing the right kind of teaching and to the right kind of people and what about other kinds of genocide and all sorts of other questions so looking forward to it should be a very very interesting podcast Tally welcome to the show nice to have you on the new blue review thank you Benji it's a pleasure to be here so the Johannesburg uh, Holocaust and Genocide Center as I said uh, how long has it been around for so the idea or the dream to create a center of some kind, uh, was born around 2008. Uh, and it was born because South Africa chose to include the study of the Holocaust in as a compulsory study uh, in the grade 9, that is 15 years old, and grade 11, 17 years old, curriculum as a compulsory subject. That happened in 2007. And um, the Cape Town Holocaust Center that exists, of course, since 1999 and does fabulous work, just could not support suddenly hundreds of thousands of teachers and learners throughout the country that have to study about the Holocaust. And in the grade nine, it's 15 hours of studying about the Holocaust. It's actually really interesting because you know, South Africa has about 15, 15, excuse me, 15, 50 million people in it. Uh, the Jews make up 0.1% of the population. So a kid in some rural town somewhere may very well have not ever encountered a Jew and not. it, it might be a very difficult thing to actually educate on. Yes, and uh, I must say that uh, it was not the Jewish community that pushed to include, uh, of course, this subject. It's a very difficult subject. Uh, genocide is, uh, is, is um, you have to know how to teach it, how to learn about it. It's, it's hard, and specifically the Holocaust, that is 12 years, very complicated, highly doc- documented, actually the most documented genocide of, of all times. So um, it was the Department of Education of South Africa uh, started, with uh, then the Minister of Education, Kada Asmal, that um, pushed to, um, to uh, do a, what we call a human rights curriculum. So every subject in the curriculum will have a human rights background to it. So why the Holocaust, will you, will you ask? And the answer is really very, very simple. South Africa is a new democracy uh, in 2007 when it came into uh, the curriculum only 13 years old, democracy, very, very young. And um, the, the fact is that human rights were never discussed. It was never in an agenda of any country until the Second World War and the Holocaust. So really it is the Holocaust and what happened during those period of the Second World War and, and the Holocaust that um, brought about the creation of the United Nations and that in 
a way brought about the Declaration of Human Rights that passed in 1948. But of course, apartheid started in South Africa in 1948. And um, the Department of Education felt that you should not start teaching about apartheid, but you should understand human rights first. And to understand human rights first, you actually have to go to the Holocaust. You have to go to the consequences of what happened and then understand that South Africa never voted uh, to pass the Universal Declaration of Human Rights in 1948. They abstained. They only voted for it in 1998, 50 years later. So it's a very, very interesting way that that came about. And just to go back to the fact that the Cape Town Holocaust Center was there and teaching thousands of you know, teachers and learners, but they're in Cape Town. What is happening to Northwest teachers? What is happening to Gauteng teachers? There was no system that could support the education um, of, of this country. Um, and, and that was the first idea. As I said, it, it started as an idea of how do we support the education system. Today, and, you know, to those that visited the Holocaust and Genocide Center, you saw it's an impressive building. It's, it has a lot in it. Today, uh, of course, the development of, of the idea became a reality eight years later with a beautiful, beautiful center, center of learning, center of memory, uh, and center where lessons for humanity can be learned. Also quite interesting talking from an apartheid perspective because, uh, forgive the the expression, but you, you might think that apartheid was just black and white, right, uh, and, and kind of very specific. But I guess by putting the Holocaust in as the first thing that the kids encounter, you get to realize the, the Nazi ideology while it didn't spread around the world necessarily as Nazism, but that sort of type of fascism and uh, extreme othering of people, it, it was kind of uh, branching out of that route. So whilst apartheid was not really like the Holocaust, the, the thought process and the philosophies behind it very much were. Absolutely. And what, what I, uh, I wrote about quite in, um, extensively, and, and we, we, we know in South Africa that uh, apartheid, we see it, we see South African history, uh, we South Africans see South African history very much through the prism of black and white. Everything was about black and white. And the laws, indeed, the laws of apartheid were very much based on the fascist laws of Nazi Germany. Uh, of course, apartheid wasn't genocide, so it was stopped. It was a, uh, based on greed, on using uh, uh, force, or in, in, in on uh, cruel human rights abuse, and uh, uh, so, so, so it's a crime against humanity. But it's not. It's not a genocide. Um, in the case of the Holocaust, um, it, it went th- that one more step of, of uh, mass murder and, and targeting um, a whole group uh, for murder. What is also interesting about the Holocaust and the Rwandan genocide, that is also the case study that we are looking at um, in our center, is that racism during, during those years of, of Nazism, of National Socialism, was white against white. So you know, for, for in a very, very simple, very simplistic way, if you look at that racism, that anti-Semitism, but that racism, it was white people that killed white people for other reasons. And actually, National Socialists um, said that Jew is a race, not, um, not a religion. It's a race. So they actually created racism by calling the Jew a race. Uh, if you look at uh, Rwanda, you know, where Hutu majority uh, murdered uh, uh, more than 800,000, mainly Tutsi uh, minority, 
again, it's black people that are killing black people. But again, they call it a race. So it's racism where black people are killing black people. For South Africans, it's a very useful uh, way of looking at race in a much broader, much more complex form than just what we're used to that is the black and white. And of course, the early thinking around, if we call modern anti-Semitism, Uh, was really the basis for modern racism, right? The measuring of the heads that we found with different scientists and eugenics. Absolutely. That It was kind of started with the Jews before it, it, it ended up in other population groups. I think that's something that's not really spoken about much yeah. today, but certainly that intersection for people trying to understand prejudice in this kind of way is important. It's, 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 it's actually sometimes very helpful to, to talk about anti-Semitism in these in these. Uh, sort of uh, terms, uh, again, a little bit simplistic, but the, the, the term of anti-Semitism is an early way of looking at racism. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, of course, modern anti-Semitism is only developed in the 19th century, and actually the term anti-Semitism is only coined by Wilhelm Marr, that was a journalist and a writer, uh, anti-Semite, of course, himself. Uh, but Jew hatred... existed for for thousands of years uh, the other the different the different religion the different t- tradition the different way of life the different dress and customs and and, and, and laws and so on um, and and really in a way when you look at modern racism othering because of color or other religions or ethnic group or um, geography even geographical uh, confine um, you can see a lot of what you saw in Jew hatred and in anti-semitism uh, 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 built into it so uh, the othering because of the way you dress or the way you pray or the way you eat or or so on and sadly it is until today for for, for the in different places and different uh, groups of people does this make the structure or maybe the pedagogy of the the Holocaust and genocide center here different to one's In other parts of the world, I mean, if you go to Yad Vashem, perhaps, or, or in, in Washington, the Holocaust Memorial there, those really are, I would say, places of memory almost foremost before they are places of education. The way you're describing it here with people who maybe are not used to Jews or don't know about it, it almost sounds to me like you're having to introduce other issues, uh, apartheid, the Rwandan genocide, these sorts of things, in order for people to understand what the Holocaust was all about. It's a much more of an educational approach than it is a me- memorial approach. Yeah. So, so it's not that we um, introduce apartheid or Rwanda to understand the Holocaust. I think that we uh, introduce different case studies alongside the Holocaust. We do not compare and we do not mix between um, the Holocaust and Rwanda, for example. Um, but we, we, we put them as a, in a narrative. So, so, for example, I'll give you an example. Um, the Convention for the Prevention and Punishment of Genocide also passed in December 1948. And the word genocide was coined by a Jewish-Polish lawyer living in the United States called Rafael Lemkin. Uh, there was no word to describe the murder of a whole nation. There was no, no word, no law. Rafael Lemkin saw Armenia first. He was from Lvov, uh, a lawyer. And he saw uh, what happened to the Armenians, and he looked he searched for a word he when he got to to uh, when he left Poland and got to the United States to New York and um, the Holocaust was happening and again, there was no word to describe and no law to say a whole group of 
people is targeted. There are laws of murder. So if you murder one person, two or three people, you're a serial killer. You kill 10. You can be put into jail. You could be put on trial. But if you are uh, the Ottoman Empire that is killing a million and a half Christian Armenians, you cannot put on trial. Because there is no law to describe genocide. Raphael Lemkin is doing it. He coins the word in 1944. It's Greek and Latin, genocide, uh, the killing or the murder of people. And then he pushes for a law to be defined that it's happening in 1948 and then in the 50s. And... Um, it is actually mentioned in the Nuremberg uh, trials just in passing, but it's not yet a law, so it's not, you know, one of the, the main uh, points of the Nuremberg trials. But what is quite interesting about what we're doing that is perhaps different, and is to go back to your question about memory or education, Yad Vashem is a memorial. It, it should be a memorial for the six million Jews that were murdered, um, and that is what it serves. The United States Memorial Museum in Washington is interesting um, because it is a state museum. It's a Holocaust museum that is in the title, USHMM, United States Holocaust Memorial Museum. It is a federal, it's, it's, it's uh, supported money by the government. But the idea is learn from the Holocaust and that is what the main museum is. But then go to other floors and learn about other atrocities. And they actually have a very, very successful committee. Uh, it used to, to be called Committee on Consciousness. Now it is the Genocide Committee. Um, and what they try to do and what we try to do is to say, let's learn. Let's be an educational institute. Let's remember, because you have to remember the victims of genocide, remember the victims of the Holocaust, but also let's uh, build our awareness. Let's learn lessons that um, we don't repeat it because what we do uh, when we learn about the Holocaust, and the interesting thing is that in 1948, yes, now we have a word, we have genocide, we have a law. Why did Rwanda happen? If you have a word and you have a law, why should almost a million people being killed in 1994. Why the world did not say, well, we learned, you know, we have a law, uh, never again, never again should not happen again. But of course, the never again is as empty as uh, the world's reality is. So, so the world did not call Rwanda genocide because if you call it a genocide, you have to intervene. So if you don't call it, you don't have to intervene. So they don't call it genocide for three months. And they only call it genocide um, in the end. In the end, who ended the genocide in Rwanda? The, the Rwanda Patriotic Front. Rwandans themselves ended the genocide. Not the world, not Africa, not the African Union, not, um, not the United States, not China, not Russia. Uh, and today, it's speci special to speak about Rwanda today because Pope Francis just yesterday apologize for the role of the Catholic Church. Not apologize, he asks for forgiveness. Apology is, uh, can, can be connected to admit, admitting guilt and maybe reparations will be demanded. But he did ask for forgiveness for the role of the Vatican and of the Catholic Church in, um, in actually collaborating. Many priests collaborated in the genocide. So it's a very interesting day to, to remember and to talk about what do we learn from history. Now, is, does this talk to maybe, uh, how would I say, 
a gap in the way that Jewish community maybe more broadly is approaching genocide prevention. If you speak to people who are involved in this kind of thing, international law or uh, it was very popular right to protect was a big thing, you know, intervening and getting international law on the side. They say that Jewish groups are too involved with education and not enough with advocacy for preventing genocide. I mean, do you think that's a, a legitimate critique? So, so the, the question, and we, we grapple quite a lot in it. So our group, we, we, we very small. We work with the Cape Town Holocaust Center and the Durban Holocaust Center. We created a national body called the South African Holocaust and Genocide Foundation with the three centers in Joburg, Cape Town, and Durban. And we have a definite national reach and um, even international reach. And we talk about it a lot. What are we, for example? Are we advocacy organization? Should we um, fight for the arrest of al-Bashir, for example, when he came here two years ago? Should we be the ones that are um, going and, 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 and uh, demanding from the government um, not to repel the ICC? You know, these are the conversations that we are having. But the feeling that we have is that there is not enough education, actually, uh, bodies and NGOs. A lot of bodies, including Jewish bodies, are immediately jumping to the advocacy. Let's act. Let's, let's you know, sue this or, or do that. Or there are memorial organizations. Let's remember. There are not enough organizations that are Jewish organizations that are saying education is key. The last place where you will have audiences in one space listening to you is at school and at university. These are the last places. When you go to work, that's it. People will be all over the place, and to try to gather them together in assembly of 1,000 will be very, very difficult. So this is a form of advocacy to get this knowledge out there and to... Um, help the Department of Education in the case of South Africa to teach it right, to use the right resources, to give uh, survivors' testimonies to the schools, to give posters to the schools, to, to uh, train teachers on how to teach this very difficult uh, history that we do. Uh, thousands of teachers that we train, um, it is, again, a form of uh, education advocacy, if you would like. You're listening to 101.9 ChaiFM or ChaiFM.com. This is the new Blue Review. And if you're listening to us on the main show in the radio station uh, or indeed on the Jerusalem Post Worldwide, we're speaking to Tali Nates. She's the executive director of the South African Holocaust and Genocide Center. And we're just talking about, you know, genocide and Holocaust as one does. Uh, but really, no, not being light about it, getting into some of the, the nitty gritty about how do we teach this subject and how do we think about it. Tell you, one of the things I want to ask you, moving away from the center itself, is also about the space that we're in, in terms of genocide and particularly the Holocaust at the moment, because we're probably in the next 10 years not going to have any more survivors left, uh, very likely, I would say. Um, And personal testimony of survivors has been a key part of how we teach children how we get across the message, and that is going to disappear. What are people in this field thinking about in terms of where do we go on the next 
part of this journey? So in the past, um, I would say 20 to 25 years, um, all organizations around the world and key organizations around the world are thinking and not only thinking about it, but acting and and innovating. And, uh, of course, we all know that after the, the film Schindler's List uh, in 1995, Steven Spielberg started the Shoah Foundation project where 52,000 uh, Holocaust survivors' testimonies were collected all around the world in many, many different um, languages. This is now uh, part of the University of Southern California Shoah Foundation. It is. It has deposits of these um, interviews in many countries around the world. Hopefully, one day also in South Africa, but in Australia, in Europe, in Israel, uh, in South America, and. Um, we have really voices of survivors um, that are used in education, that are used for memory, used for, for lessons about anything from uh, learning about the ghettos to the camps to medical experiments to life before Kristallnacht, refugees. For example, now we use this for, 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 for looking at the issues that we are facing now, refugees, immigrations, uh, conflicts, what do you do, uh, how do you accept refugees, and so on. Um, other subjects that this uh, um, big, big collection allows us to look at are subjects that were taboo, that no one spoke about. Uh, women issues, rape, um, sexual assault, um, other things about old people, young people, babies, things that we never spoke about before, homosexuality and, and other things. Um, so that is the one answer. And that that is already now uh, 20 years, um, more than 20 years old. Other uh, institutions like Yad Vashem, like Yale University that did uh, very early archives of testimonies, um, other institutions, we uh, at the Johannesburg Holocaust and Genocide Center created 21 films interviewing local survivors with local accents, South African accents, with stories that are connected to South Africa. Um, so, so, for example, we have that uh, uh, fantastic uh, collection that we we did, but uh, there are amazing new approaches. One of them, and and very exciting one, is uh, we presented about it in September last year. Uh, Dr. Stephen Smith, the executive director of the USC Shoah Foundation, was here, and he told us about the new dimensions in technology project. That is an ex South African survivor, Pinchas Guter. Um, Pinchas lives now in Canada, but um, he lived in Cape Town for many, many years. And Pinchas was the first out of 13 survivors that were filmed by the USC Shoah Foundation in um, all sides, uh, very technologically complicated, uh, almost hologram kind of project. So you are filmed from all sides. You are asked about a thousand questions and your answers are recorded. And you create a 3D kind of a survivor of the future in 10, 15 years uh, when the last survivor, 20 years, 30 years, may they live until 120, uh, when survivors are not, no longer amongst us, the hologram will be there in the, uh, the, the, the new dimensions of technology, if I may say. And the nice thing is that you can ask Pinchas any question because he was asked a thousand questions and this computer will direct 
Pinchas, the hologram Pinchas, to answer anything. So, Pinchas, tell me about your family. He will, the hologram will know where to go to tell, ah, I had a twin sister that was murdered in my Danek, uh, you know, and so on. So, and, and if you ask a question that he doesn't understand, the hologram doesn't understand or doesn't know how to answer, it even can say something like, well, I don't know about that, but I can tell you about life in Lodge, you know, when I was a little kid or something like a key word that the hologram will under the computer will under understand and answer. That is amazing. That is amazing. New technology, using new technology to try and keep the survivor's voice alive, a part of films and books and poetry and, you know, so much more than that, that we have. So that for me is, is one thing. The other thing that I want to, to, to share, because um, I do think that the Holocaust, specifically the Holocaust, is such a, a, a key point of history. I'm not talking Jewish history. History. They are in human history. Key events, key changing events that change where the world, you know, turned the world upside down in a way. And I believe that the Holocaust was one of them. I just started by telling you about the United Nations, human rights, uh, genocide, invention of the word genocide. And I'll compare it, Benji, to the French Revolution. The French Revolution is not a French history lesson alone. It's not only for French people. It is learned in all schools, in all societies around the world. Uh, another one will be um, uh, the Roman Empire, for example. So you do have key historical events that change the world. And I believe the Holocaust is one of them. And I believe that it's just growing and growing. And it's not dependent on survivors anymore. And I can even tell you that most scholars, researchers, doctors, directors of museums around the world are not Jewish. They are young. And the um, Holocaust and genocide um, research and um, writing and creation and creation of museums is just growing, growing and growing and growing all the time. Yeah, it is actually fascinating. This hologram that you talk about, I mean, how far are we away from having something like that? So it's quite expensive. So we would love to have, for example, Pinchas here. Uh, but we're talking about a, a very, very expensive process at the moment. So we are waiting for the price to go down. It doesn't exist anywhere else um, in the world? So they are in the trial uh, um, period at the moment. Um, they tried it in the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum. They tried it in a, co in a big convention, technical convention in Sheffield, uh, the UK. And they tried it somewhere else in Mexico, I think. But they're not ready yet because there are a lot of glitches. So, you know, so the glass, whatever the glass, uh, where Pinchas is on the glass, uh, suddenly gets stuck, you know, or, or other glitches that are happening. So I think that we are a few years away still from it being available. And when it's available, I think it will be amazing to have it in, uh, in Johannesburg. I wanted to pick up on one of the things that you were talking ar around, which is taboo subjects and uh, things that we haven't spoken about. But also, uh, sort of additionally, you spoke about things like immigration, contemporary issues which start to get pulled up into the Holocaust. I mean, immigration is not the only one. Uh, I can think of 
uh, demands, for example, that uh, the Palestinian role in the Holocaust be spoken about or you bring more Israel stuff into it or the fact that Israelis are, are sent to go on tours to Auschwitz to, to see that sort of thing. What is your opinion of the role of Holocaust and Holocaust educators and these sorts of museums in these sorts of contemporary debates which have big political dimensions? So I spoke a little bit about how much is all the time discovered because the, the, the Holocaust, as I said, is the most documented um, um, genocide. And um, as the research grows and uh, as more centers are opened all around the world, uh, just to give you an example, the South African Holocaust and Genocide Foundation belongs to the Association of, Hol- of Holocaust Organizations, AHO, that has um, more than 320 organizations worldwide, from Finland to Romania to Japan, China, Hong Kong, Mexico, and Brazil, and South Africa, and so on. So, so, so that is the one thing. Um, so as it's growing, more subjects are coming. So the, the role of women in the Holocaust was never spoken about until about 20, 15, 20 years ago. There were taboos, as I said before. For example, um, the issue of rape. Never, ne- I don't know if you, Benji, even read, you know, you, you speak about the killing, you speak about, you know, so Katsetnik wrote a little bit about you know, prostitution and other things. Uh, you had other writers that sort of wrote about it, but it was, it was a taboo. Now, through the testimonies and through research, fantastic research coming out of Canada, America and Israel, uh, amazing knowledge is available to you about about that. I can even tell you that the, the only uh, after the Rwandan genocide, actually, and in the International Criminal Court of Rwanda, ICTR, that was in Arusha, it ended already a few years ago, but um, that was the first time that rape became an act of genocide. A uh, case and, 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 and the Akahiso case that actually opened the, the discussion around rape as an act of genocide. We never spoke about it during the Holocaust. So there are things that will open. It's good that they're opening. It's appropriate that they're opening. And it is Holocaust-related or genocide-related. The problem is, of course, with other things that are almost feel like an abuse of history. And um, many times the language will be abused or the actions will be abused or it will be kidnapped to talk about uh, abortions or about other things as Holocaust or is genocide or is, you know, mass, uh, mass murder of a whole, whatever. And we have to be just aware of it and very careful of it because uh, this is a very specific history. The history of genocide is very specific and you cannot sort of play with it and, and say, oh, well, you know, I learn about genocide. So, um, um, so apartheid was also genocide because it wasn't uh, it doesn't make it less painful less um, uh, about suffering and uh, less about learning about it genocide is not the gold medal it doesn't work like that the holocaust is not oh you have to have the holocaust to really show suffering it doesn't work like that so so i think that we have to be careful and um Sadly, politicians throughout the world are abusing, abusing history whenever it's suitable for them. So from Australia to, to, to South America, to the United States, to Europe, they do that. We 
we just need to be on the lookout and, 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 and stop and say, hey, it, it's bad enough. You don't have to go to, um, to, to call it genocide or the Holocaust. One more thing. Refugees, because you, you speak about immigrants. I do, I said that what we do in Johannesburg, Cape Town and in Durban is that we learn, we are an educational center, but we also look at lessons for humanity. And the lessons are very interesting. So if you look at um, the, the laws that stopped immigration from Germany, you look at South Africa, for example, that passed in 1937, the Aliens Act, that um, stopped German immigration to South Africa. There was uh, also the, the Quota Act that stopped Eastern European immigration in 1930, but th that's before Hitler. I'm talking about the Aliens Act. Okay, 1937, basically Jews cannot come into the country after that. And indeed, during those war years, about 220 Jews arrived to South Africa when they needed uh, a place of safety most. So if you look at survivors that found refuge or that were refused refuge, um, the role of countries in welcoming children, for example. So we look at the kinder transport, you know, 10,000 children from Germany and Austria and Czech Republic, the, uh, Czechoslovakia that went to Britain and were saved. And we have we had few of them here in South Africa. Uh, can we learn about Syria? Can we learn about opening the doors to children and saving 10,000 children in South Africa? Can you imagine if South Africa would say, we will learn from the Holocaust and we are going to open to children up to the age of uh, 16, uh, orphan children or, or half orphan children, and we're going to open our doors. That will be a lesson that we can learn. And we hope that um, the Holocaust can teach us key lessons about human behavior. But surely that can also open you up once you go down that road. And I understand it. I think that that makes a lot of sense. But someone could say to you then, well, a crucial lesson of the Holocaust was that the Jews needed Israel. And if they had had it, you know, then they, they wouldn't have been one. So surely then you as a Holocaust center should be explaining to people who might not be Jewish coming to the center why Israel is important for Jewish people. Uh, should you get yourself into some difficulties around that? Because I, I don't think that you do teach that sort of stuff. No, uh, there are no difficulties really because about the, 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 the case of Israel, it's very, very simple. Your top historians, including Yad Vashem and Yehuda Bauer, that is the, the professor, wrote so much about it that uh, Israel was coming. I mean, you had Ben-Gurion, you had the Yeshuv, you had the, the leadership. Um, and actually, if the Holocaust did not happen, Israel had, uh, would have had another six million. So it would have been a much larger country. Would it have come in 1948? Maybe not. Maybe it would have come in 1940. Maybe it would have come in 1939 or 1942. I, I can't play with history because I'm not, uh, you know, I don't have a time machine, sadly. I wish I had. But um, um, the fact is there would have been a state of Israel. There is no doubt. All historians agree to that. So the, the, the thing to do when you teach about the Holocaust is to know your history very, very well, to read all the latest publications, to know um, the, the conversations out there. It's very, very important. You can't teach with, with you know, with, with half-truths and, and, and dogma and what you think uh, is right. You really need to know. And what we do, and I think we do it very well, is to bring the top scholars 
to South Africa. It's actually unbelievable to think that we had Professor Michael Berenbaum that started the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum. We had uh, Dr. Stephen Smith that is now doing the hologram just last year. This year, we're going to have, we're so excited about it, but in October, uh, all three centers will host uh, Dr. Lawrence Reese, that he was the documentarian of, um, of Auschwitz. He did all the films about Auschwitz. He was uh, doing all the films about the new series about the charisma of Adolf Hitler that many of us watched on the History Channel. He did. So this is a filmmaker, documentarian, a, a, a writer of note. And to bring all those people that are, they are fantastic and they can teach us how to teach uh, about this very, very complex uh, um, issue. What, one thing that we do, um, I think, uh, do with lessons, and, and I think it's important to say, is look quite a lot on the subject of um, the Holocaust was not inevitable, you know, or genocide is not, you can stop it. So prevention, understanding the steps before dehumanizing, discrimination, the, the warning lights before, I think it's, it's our role. To, to teach those things as, a, as Holocaust and genocide centers. And I think we do that. And the whole issue of choices that people don't have to obey and they don't have to not question and they should not say it's the law. So I, I do it, but question and, uh, and, and have the, the moral, the ethical sort of back to, to say this I will not do. This is not something that should be done to another human being. You're listening to the New Blue Review on 101.9 Chai FM or chaifm.com. And we've been talking to Tully Nates. Uh, she's from the Johannesburg Genocide, Holocaust and Genocide Center. From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 Chai FM. Tell you, let's talk a little bit about the role of the Holocaust in Jewish identity formation. I mean, we've spoken a lot about the fact that the, the survivors are, are, are going. Uh, I think a lot of Jewish social justice work, I wouldn't say that it, it comes specifically from the Holocaust, but I would, it would be, I think, a diff, difficult push to say that it doesn't sensitize the Jewish community to those sorts of ideas. At the same time, there are kind of worries that sometimes the Holocaust becomes people's entire Jewish identity. Someone has said to me that if someone knows the history of the Holocaust and can't do a Pesach Seder, then that's a tragedy, right? Uh, What's your opinion about kind of with this next phase of Holocaust education, where it starts to sit with the third and fourth generation as a piece of Jewish identity and, and, and what it means to the Jewish people? So, of course, because the Holocaust was such a, a break, such a devastation uh, in, in, in history, uh, more so possibly uh, than, than other horrific um, historical uh, historical. Uh, uh, events. Events, yeah. I'm, I'm looking for the horrible, <laughs> sort of the horrible events like Inquisition or right. the Khmelnytsky pogroms or others. They were horrible events and, 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 and the cost, the Jewish cost was horrific. But the Holocaust, first of all, is in our memory, immediate memory. It is in our sort of its modern period. Also the documentation, the films, the, um, the, the, the photographs, the, the, the voices, the voices of survivors, but also voices of persons. 
perpetrators, of bystanders, of um, of neighbors. You know, so so we have so much uh, that is familiar that we can we can work w- with, and I think for that that is one of the reasons where it became very important for for for, for Jews also. Uh, growing up in Israel, I grew up in Israel. My father is a Holocaust survivor. My mother was a refugee. Um, so, so growing up, I didn't have much family. My, my family were the survivors that survived me and my father. I used to call an uncle to someone that was not a blood relative. He was just, he survived with my father. So the psyche of many Israelis and, and also of Jewish communities around the world was that psyche of a community of survivors, community of maybe people affected by the Holocaust, uh, people that had families that were in Germany or Lithuania or France uh, that never came back, that never survived. So the whole Jewish community, all 11 million, 12 million of them, were affected by, by the Holocaust. North Africa, we don't even talk about North Africa. North Africa was affected the Jewish communities in North Africa were affected by the Holocaust. Uh, there were Einsatzgruppen planned to kill Jews in North America, some no, in North North Africa. Some North African Jews were taken to concentration camp, transit camp, and were killed. In Senegal, there was a transit camp. There was a concentration camp next to Dakar because it belonged to Vichy. And so, so, so do you understand that it is? it really affected the whole world and definitely affected Jewish identity. The issue is then how to, to separate from the tragedy, from the devastation, from the this this uh, history that is alive. It's twentieth century. It's, it's it's there. It's part of who we are, and say it is a part, but it's not the whole. It is uh, one part of who we are, but it does not take over uh, traditions, cultures, in uh, um, in in other pieces of history. Our history, our history is a history of thousands of years. How do you get that balance? And I do think that sometimes it's difficult, uh, not only to second and third generation. Uh, generally, you can see that there is great interest in the Holocaust. And there is less interest in other things. Uh, so our responsibility through things like Limud, uh, through other conferences of Jewish studies, for example, to try and offer as much richness about Jewish history and as much richness about tradition, religion, philosophy, uh, and so on, and not only go uh, to the Holocaust, and of course I'm saying it because I'm a historian of the Holocaust, and of course I'm very interested in that, but how do we find that balance um, is, is, a key, is a key thing to, to, to find. Um, and I think it's a journey. We are only 70 years after the event. As I said, it was such a, 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 a breaking point in, our, in who we are as a, as a, as a nation. It's, it's maybe natural that we are still there, Maybe we need a few more years to to have that perspective and a bit more balance. And in some ways, I, I think of it almost when you read like the the sort of the back end of the Bible, right after the 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 destruction of the temple, and you can see uh, the prophets like Ezra having to re- completely redo uh, how Jews pray, how they organize, the, and and he kind of leaves and comes back, and then the people have like fallen away again. So there is almost this this that catastrophic rebuilding that we don't think about as a Jewish people every day, but actually we've kind of had to 
we're going to have to build stuff from the ground up again. Yeah, and I think that the Jewish people did it a few times. Ezra is, is, is a great example. But, but you have many such, you know, um, no, quite few such uh, uh, cases where you, you do, you need to rebuild the nation or you rebuild the, the safety, the, 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 the feeling of I'm safe, I'm not, I'm not being persecuted. We just celebrated Purim, so I'm thinking about Purim or I'm thinking about Pesach coming um, uh, in a few weeks. And, and um, it's interesting thinking about Pesach and, and one of the artifacts that I have is a survivor's Haggadah that was written, written in the DP camps, in the display, displaced persons camp um, immediately after the Holocaust. And, uh, and the fact is that it's, it's, it's difficult. You have to find your voice. And sometimes the voice of the survivors, the survivor was struggling with Jewish history, um, you know, and, 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 um, you have to find that uh, that that way of rebuilding. Seventy years after um, after the Holocaust, I think that we are we have some perspective. We have already second, third, fourth generation, so some perspective is there. But uh, but we are still we are still struggling. I think we are still struggling with that balance. Well, on that note, brings us to the end of the show for today. Tali, thank you so much. It's been absolutely wonderful listening to you uh, and. And talking and engaging. If people want more information or even like, you know, the latest uh, stuff coming out of Holocaust research, there's always new stuff coming out of Yad Vashem and, and also what can you suggest to people who want to just, you know, become more of an expert in this in this topic? So first of all, uh, to people in Johannesburg and, and in South Africa, please come to our website and uh, become uh, involved in the many events that we run. So it's w, um, www.jhb, uh, Johannesburg Holocaust Genocide Center, just uh, uh, .org.za. Um, but um, generally, I find that the uh, websites of the Yad, Vashem, the Yad Vashem website and even more so the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum are absolutely fantastic ways to know what is out there. And uh, just be interested. Read, um, uh, come to events, come to exhibitions, uh, be curious, ask questions. We are looking forward to welcome you. Yeah, certainly there's no lack of information. That brings us to the end of the show for today. Thank you so much for having listening. Thank you to Vuzi and Tabo for doing all of the technical work on the show today and Mandy for having produced the show. And, uh, yeah, we always like your, your criticisms and comments, so you can send me at Benji at chai.co.za or find us on Twitter, uh, Benji underscore Shulman, or the station is uh, at Chai FM. Uh, on Twitter, and we'll be happy to engage with you there. For now, that's all we've got time for. We'll see you next week on the New Blue Review.